0: connection through conversation joint self-described conversationalist stacy heller as she talks with guests about topics and ideas that are sometimes informational sometimes inspirational and always entertaining on stacy connects
1: Hey, everybody, welcome to the show. I am Stacey Heller. This show is all about making connections through conversation. It's about asking questions instead of making assumptions. And it's about engaging with the elephant in any room, which is definitely one of my passions. Uh, thank you to everyone that listens both to the live show. And uh, also, of course, the podcast. And again, if you ever miss a show, fear not. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find – or yeah, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find this. And guess what? You can also subscribe. You could, I don't know, rate it, give it five stars, uh, build up my confidence. Remember, I am a words of affirmation, love language person. You could also even leave a comment. Um, And don't forget, you can also, if you – want to hear more of Eric Speak, then you can listen and follow our podcast called Don't Ask Me to Talk. And uh, also follow my Instagram, which is Stacy Talks. That's right. I have finally landed on Stacy Talks. It feels like the right name because that is what I do. Uh, if you want to call in live, I would love to hear from you. The number is 425 373 5527 Of course, you can also text the number 475-999-2726. So my guest today is Suzanne Weller. And on her website, she has a reimagination partner. I love that. I'm jealous of that. I want that.
2: (laughs) Well, I love that you talk about the elephant in the room. So there we are. We got a lot to talk
1: about. There we are. Yeah, I I am... uh, constantly going through a change and transformation, which is perfect because this is the kind of thing that you do. And I last week, we had a great conversation, or maybe it was two weeks ago. I don't know. I've lost track of all time. Uh, but hearing some of the things that you do, it is akin to what I do, but I feel like I'm still doing it with training wheels and you're like riding down the street. But that's okay. We'll get there. All right. I'm okay with it. So, uh, OK. Hello, of course, to mom and to Lee. And I'm pretty sure that the Bromleys are hanging out with them tonight. So, hey, um, cheers to all of you. I hope you're all having a excellent uh, cocktail. Uh, so here are the conversations and observations that I have from this past week. So, first thing, uh I texted mom last night a picture of some shoes. So mom is a massive devotee of Rothy's. She has, uh, I got to check the text. I think she said 20 something pairs, Uh, which by the way, uh, not a sponsor, but I'll tell you what, I would be happy to be sponsored by Rothy's because uh, it would keep my mother from going into shoe debt. Uh, So hey, Rothy's. Uh, she's ha- she has 19 pairs of the flats plus a few pairs of the slip-ons and I think a couple pairs of sneakers. Yeah, it's gross. Anyway, I sent her a picture because I went to Old Navy yesterday and they had what I'll call Fothies. <laughs> so Rothy's. <laughs> they look exactly like the Rothy's shoes. Uh, I don't know if they're also made from repurposed materials the way that Rothys are. So there is of course that. And they don't have the removable insole that you can throw in the laundry. Uh however, they were are very comfy, very cute, and very much cheaper than Rothys. Um so naturally I bought two pairs. <laughs> because I am, after all, my mother's daughter. So, uh, navy and a lovely shade of, let's call it mulberry. I did learn the Pantone colors yesterday, but darned if I remember what they are. So, uh, shame on me. But a lovely shade of mulberry. Um, And I did find out that Rothy's has a store in U Village. My friend Sally informed me of this. And so, when I told Mom, naturally... Her first response was, I'm coming tomorrow, uh, but then clearer heads prevailed, and we will go when she visits in December. So uh, sounds like we're going to get into the uh, 20-something Rothy's. So mom, do not pack your Rothy's for the trip. You'll have room to take some back with you. Uh, okay, next important thing. I read an article this week, which I feel like there needs to be a hard stop there because I read an article this week. I mean, and it wasn't on BuzzFeed. It, it wasn't about uh, Kanye. It wasn't about, I don't know what. Uh, it was from The New Yorker, which my parents got The New Yorker for years, and I read it for the comics because the comics are notoriously awesome in The New Yorker. Um, but this article was about our eight-year-old selves now. If you are a longtime listener— or even a short-time listener, you know that I am usually asking myself, my guests, I think I've asked Eric before, you know, who you were at this seven, eight-year-old time frame. What was your imaginative play? What were your personality traits? Um, You know, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? What did you like to do that wasn't dictated by your parents? And... I am convinced that if we go back to that version of ourself, then if we are content in our life, there's a good chance that whatever we're doing is akin to what we liked to do back then. Or at least there's some thread. And if we're unhappy, then we've completely lost sight of that seven, eight-year-old self. So lo and behold, there was an article about this in New Yorker magazine and I am so excited about it 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 was a very long article there's been studies done apparently I'm not the first person to have this thought uh okay Eric I see you smiling (laughs) Um,
0: no I'm just listening
1: okay intently because I mean I've got all my great ideas no I
0: mean I think this is a kind of like a a thread of what your whole Thing is, yeah. I mean, you always talk about, you know, doing what makes your tail wag and assuming that that, you know, is something that you identified in childhood. You know, you can you can draw a straight line from that to, you know, making your tail wag as an adult. So
1: thank yeah. you. Yeah, I, I was
0: smiling that you <laughs> came across it, something that, that backed up. It. Yeah.
1: Next, I need uh, something about water barrels. But anyway, uh, rain barrels. So the article was called Becoming You. And the subtitle was, Are You the Same Person You Were When You Were a Child? So this article talks about a whole bunch of different things. Like many New Yorker articles, it was very long. Uh, so I was impressed that I stuck with it. And it talks about the influences that we have. Uh, you know, you can have twins and their personality differences. Or you can have, you know, uh, a whole bunch of different things that, Impact. Uh, one of the people that was quoted in the article talked about how ourselves are like a tree and we have our roots and we go through all of these evolutions and it's not always the same. Uh, so at the end of the day, it was talking about the revisions that we go through, the adaptations or uh, coping things that we create, the continuity of our lives, you know, like you may move, like things may change and um, there was one person that was quoted as saying, "It took me 62 years to understand who I am," which I was like, "Okay, Amen, brother." Um, so, the question that I have that this article did not answer is: So, did we know who we were like before that age? That you know, that eight-year-old's self. And then did we lose it because of all of these revisions, adaptations, coping skills, uh, disruptions and continuity, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's this whole idea that, you know, your pure self is born, you know, when you're born, like you haven't done anything wrong yet. And, you know, you're very innocent. And um, and so, like, did you know it and you knew something and now we're all struggling to have this big loop back to that person. Uh, But it was a very interesting article. There's actually been some studies done about this. And, uh, you know, there isn't a clear answer. However, I would say that there's a clear answer and that, yes, the answer is, yes, we knew something when we were younger and then we went and we soiled it. And we've been messing it up and trying to recover ever since. So there I said it.
0: Um, Well, sometimes we kind of crash into reality. (laughs) <laughs> okay if, if your dream was to be an astronaut and then you found out you aren't good at math you know then sometimes reality kind of makes other plans for us yes so, but you but, could
1: write about people that absolutely. have gone into space
0: yeah that's the thing uh, but there's reality that kind of changes our plans a- along the way this you is know. my
1: very pragmatic eric speaking <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm the dreamer that's like You know what? Like, I can't be an astronaut. No biggie. I'm going to dress like an astronaut or I'm going to befriend an astronaut or I'm going to do something that is a But can you make
0: a living dressing like an astronaut?
1: You know what? Uh, There might be an OnlyFans page where I could make significant money.
0: See, this is why people need to hire you, because, (laughs) you know, you're almost like a therapist Uh, as well as... I'm just, You know,
1: <laughs> you don't have to abandon your dreams. You just have to figure out a there way go. to like reframe it. I love it. Thank you. So there you go. Um, and then the last big thing of the week, and I'm going a little longer than I normally do, but the Try Guys. Now, most of you that are listening to the show have no idea, like the rest of America, who the Try Guys are. However, in the past couple of weeks, they've made all kinds of waves because they're this nice group of four guys that create generally family-friendly content. The whole idea is that they try things. And they all have their various personalities, which are legit their personalities. And one of them, the guy that is uh, known as being the wife guy, he's married. They have two small children. uh, They did a date night cookbook. He went to Yale. He tells everybody like within two seconds of
0: he tried being married and didn't work out. Well,
1: that's true. Because you know what else he tried? He tried one of the people that works for him. There you go.
0: <laughs> I saw the, the skit about this on yes. SNL, and I totally thought they just made up some random nope. thing that people would supposedly know about. Just, you know— But apparently it was a real deal. This is a real
1: thing. And I bring this up because this is a bit – this is going to be my Staceyism. So what's interesting is uh, SNL actually got a lot of backlash for the skit because in it, they made it seem like the Try Guys were overreacting. So here – the short version is Ned, the wife guy, cheated on his wife and had a long-term consensual – he made sure to say consensual – uh, affair with a subordinate. So there's a power play there, right? Always. And so, you know, workplace romances, not cool. And so the Try Guys, uh, it's actually a fan that saw this happening because, I don't know, when you're in the public eye, you're not ever really private. Right. And so they were contacted and so they actually fired him and said that, uh even though they started their business eight years ago and he's a partner, they they pulled in some HR help, they pulled in some legal help, and they made a decision that it does not adhere to uh, the views and the their beliefs about how you conduct yourselves in the workplace and how you conduct yourselves in general. Sure. And so they made this announcement and what the skit – on SNL did get right is, you know, the intensity of the one guy, Eugene, uh, and the goofiness of the characters. The messaging, though, people were giving the Try Guys a hard time for being so like, oh, my gosh, you guys, like, relax. But meanwhile, how about somebody that's in the public eye actually taking a stand and following through on a morality clause if they actually have that or the views and, and whatever? And they were clearly gutted by making this decision but felt it's what they needed to do.
0: I won't say it was a great sketch by any stretch. I think they've been a little bit weak yeah. Oh, yeah. this uh, season so far on SNL, unfortunately. But I, I, my interpretation of it, the essence of the joke was that this was newsworthy because this is like some YouTubers yes. uh, that have, you know, they yeah, they've got a following, but is this really something that any of us should be paying attention to if we're not, directly working
1: with the
0: Try Guys. Yes. Probably not.
1: And that is definitely part of the joke is that, you know, most people have no idea who these people are and are like, what? And in the skit, it was like, you know, war going on in Ukraine. And it was like, just in, breaking, Ned cheated on his wife. Exactly. Which is obviously absurd. Um, So anyway. This dovetails into my stacey which is don't stand on a soapbox because when you fall, people will rather enjoy it. And so I have always said to my kids who in elementary school and middle school were like, I'm never going to do drugs. I'm never going to drink underage. I'm never going to do this. I'm like, "Mm, never? Seems like a really long time. And so, great. That's awesome. And you can... In your safe space, you can tout all of that wisdom and whatever. However, just like um, just like our eight-year-old selves, we go through a lot of adaptations and changes. And so be careful about standing on a soapbox because I'll tell you what, that first time that you do drink and you're barfing, no one's going to hold your hair back. They're all going to take pictures of you. And so... Uh, It's fine to stand for something. However, when you're standing for something and you're doing it with some level of judgment, not so cool. Which makes me think of Ned and how Ned was always talking about, I'm so smart and I'm the wife guy and, you know, my wife is my everything. Well, now here people are enjoying the downfall of Ned. So anyway, with that, let's go take a short break so that I can have a long pull of my Diet Coke. Keep listening, we'll be right back.
0: Do you feel like you're stuck in a style rut? If so, take the first step on your journey and go to Michael Bruce Image Fill out their simple personal style assessment and schedule a complimentary, no obligation, 20-minute style consultation. Let the experts help you gain some perspective on your style challenges.
1: Stacy Connects. It's not just my business, it's my superpower. Whether you need the right tone and messaging for a new venture, or you've plateaued with your current one, I can help. I connect clients with themselves and their potential. Then, I identify unique solutions that translate your brand into messaging that connects your target audience With your business. Go to stacyconnects.com to connect with me and your messaging.
0: Find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Check out 1150kknw.com.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Stacy Connects. Remember, if you have a comment or a question or you want to get in touch with me, feel free to do that through 475-999-2726. So my guest today is Suzanne Weller. I'm finally going give, to give you a chance to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to what it's like to be in my life. Uh, so Suzanne is a coach. She's a consultant. Uh, as I said, she on her website has that she's a uh, reimagination partner. Um, I also noted that uh, you facilitate this kind of work. Mm-hmm. And my other one that I really love is a thought partner. Yes. So tell me about the the thought, the language, how you got to that.
2: Well, so much of my work be, through being a coach or facilitator or, um, I mean, as you said, consultant, I I, I wear a lot of different hats. And a core theme in my work is is reimagination. And it's somewhat similar to what you were talking about with the eight-year-old, because mm-hmm. I think back to myself as an eight-year-old kid, you know, like Southern California girl riding my roller skates and doing what I'm doing. And there's, there's a certain joy that we go through in our lives, right, and in our work. And I do believe, and a lot of this is also aligned with where I got my coaching certification, which is at the Hudson Institute of Coaching, that we have multiple chapters in our lives and we have multiple selves that we go through and... Like I tend to hit cycles every couple of years, like this is really wonderful, and then it starts to peter out a little bit, mm-hmm. so I know I need more challenge like I need to sort of keep going and that's really what I do with my clients is where do you where do you want to push the envelope a little bit? what do you want to reimagine and how do you make that possible because a lot of people want to do it, but they don't know how to do it for themselves, for their teams, so I do it both with individuals and uh, and with teams
1: well and i I have been um sharing recently that, you know, I'm going through my own changes and iterations with my business. I met with uh, a gal last week who it was supposed to be a networking call. And by the time uh, we hung up, I was crying and I was like, I hired her. I was like, yeah, she, uh, she makes me uncomfortable. And, you know, growth comes out of the uncomfortable and talking about some of these things. So it seems like There is, I hate using the word trend because I feel like it diminishes uh, the work that all of us are doing out there. But there seems to be about a growing appreciation for hidden messages, uh, using your intuition, uh, understanding uh, like the complexity of what you want or what you think about things or reimagining, reframing um, and, you know, That need for human connection. Oh, yeah. Like the more that we're becoming technology-based, you know, there's this, as I said, there's now like a surge of people like yourself um, that more and more are trying to help people reimagine themselves.
2: Well, and I think a lot of that comes from, I mean, definitely the past few years. Obviously, we've all gone through our own little version of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> reinventing and and pain and suffering, right? So, yeah. a lot of it with that is the way that we lived our lives before doesn't necessarily have to be the way that we have to continue to. So it's and that's one of the things I think for me that I I've always pushed my pushed the envelope in my own life, and a lot of that comes from my like my parents. My parents were English. My parents got married, came over on the Queen Mary. So like I like to say, you know, I'm American made British parts, and it's <laughs> it really is. And I. I think my discovery streak or that, you know, that wanting for something new comes from my family, comes from my parents doing it. So they were always like, "Oh, go to college far away," which, you know, for a while it was like, should I be taking this personally? Because you <laughs> want me to move across the country? Um, which I didn't, but it was it was it was it was good for me. It was good for me to know at a young age that I could I could do that. Mm-hmm. So I've enjoyed moving to new cities, I've enjoyed having new jobs and being in different spaces and discovering. And I think it's interesting, too, what you're talking about, too, which is the language of it. Because now, because we're communicating in a lot of different ways, that's one of the things, right? Is that, OK, because we don't necessarily spend time with people in a room, mm-hmm. does the relationship have to be different as a result of that? And what what is connection at this point? And it's fascinating to see what you can create in so many different spaces. And oh, I, yeah. I totally dig on that.
1: <laughs> well, and I think it's, you know, uh, the pandemic forced us to be in a room with ourselves yeah. and the distractions of activities, you know, chores and errands, uh, you know, like, let's face it, you didn't have to run to the dry cleaner to pick up shirts because you weren't getting dressed for work. You know, you didn't have to take kids to various activities. Heck, you didn't even have to take kids to school. So you don't have to worry about that drop off line or at work. You didn't have to worry about the meeting with everyone or interacting and whatever. And so all those distractions forced us to spend some time with ourselves. Yep. And so this whole, like, uh, professional resignation that's happened, it's like people are like, you know what? Mm, I don't know if I'm so happy with what I'm doing.
2: Yeah, and I actually, I love the term great realization because... Ooh, and I like that I, I did not come up with that. <laughs> but... I always think that because that's really what it is. Right. It is that moment of like, what am I doing? And and what am I going to you know, am I going to resign? What what do I want to be? And again, that's sort of where the realization part comes in or Uh the reimagination part. So, yeah. And I I'm so interested to talk to people about how have their lives changed over the past couple of years? What are they doing differently? And what has stayed the same? Because I think that also tells us a lot about who we are and what what really matters to us. And also, you know, what are we what are we ready to kick to the curb? I mean, a big part of a lot of this is letting go like you gotta you gotta move on.
1: Totally. And, you know, reading that article from The New Yorker, uh, you know, the some of the words that were in there were about, you know, continuity. So I would say, you know, continuity can be anything from I like to talk a lot. I was talking when I was seven or eight. I'm talking now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that is something that has been continual. And then the things that we um, that we adapt, you know, moving from the East Coast to the West Coast, mm-hmm. um, you know, or having children. There's adaptations there. Or coping skills uh, and the different things that you go through and how that changes you. It's the it's the continuity pieces that, you know, we don't know how to drill down to what those key elements are. Yeah. And we lose sight of it.
2: Yeah. And we're so good at recognizing what's wrong and not what's right. Like, you know, I mean, we're so critical of ourselves as far as the things that we want to change. And change is good, but, you know, pay attention to what you what you're doing well. You know, like if you kick ass at something, like if you have a... Uh, a superpower that you really want to, you know, harness and and take advantage of. That's a great thing.
1: Oh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's so important. Actually, this it makes me laugh. Uh, this morning I was talking with my husband and we were talking about how I keep shopping for this t- upcoming trip and then returning things and going back and forth. And, you know, I'm I'm putting a nice dent in the bank account before we even leave for the trip. And so um, I was like, well, I'll, I'll pay for some of it or whatever. And he's like, maybe you should get an OnlyFans account that's for your ankles. <laughs> he's like, people are into that stuff. And I was like, OK, first of all, how do you know about OnlyFans? I mean, I know about OnlyFans, but like he never leaves the back bedroom, which is now his <laughs> office. And then B, thank you, like biggest compliment he's paid me in quite a while, the fact that he has confidence that I could rack in dollars on an OnlyFans. Uh, but it, it is that, you know, the things that if you distilled it down and what you like about yourself, uh, you know, on a bad day when I'm giving myself uh, a lot of grief about how I look or the weight that I've gained or whatever's going on, I'm like, but my ankles. I mean. (laughs) There you go. And we need to do the same thing with also our talents and our abilities. Yeah. Now, are the people that you are – so let's talk about the one-to-one work that you do first. Mm -hmm. So are people coming to you thinking that they're going to focus on one thing and then it turns out that as you peel back the layers, they're like, oh.
2: Yes, a lot. I mean one of the things that we – you know, that was said to me, I think that I learned in my coaching certification was it's not, it's not the relation, it's not the issue. It's the relationship to the issue. Ooh. Yeah. And that's true. yeah. And like when you start to dig, right. Cause you start, you think this is the problem. But then when you start having the conversations with a coach or a thought partner, and we will go back to that too, but it's the idea of, you know, when that inquiry is happening, you start to go below the surface, right? It's like the iceberg. Mm-hmm. You're only seeing what's above it. And there's so much more going on beneath the surface. So when you start going into the surface, underneath the surface, things are bubbling up. So and I tell I tell clients this before we start working together, you know, it is not a straight line. You are going to go up and down. You're going to figure things out and you're going to potentially switch gears or adapt. And that's something if we're doing the work well, Uh that's what really should be happening. Right. We want to see that. We want to know that you're tapping into things that you didn't necessarily expect.
1: Oh, big time. And and I feel like those things that uh, we don't tap, they are these narratives that we have that for whatever reason, we're so comfortable with, you know, playing that narrative in our head rather than, I don't know, kicking that baggage to the curb and being able to walk hands free, metaphorically, of course, through our day to day existence.
2: Yeah, the stories and the stories are constant.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so going to the, the thought partner now and and that piece, is that something that you find that you're doing in the one-to-one consulting or what forum does that rear its head, if you will?
2: Most of my work happens in with one-on-one, but I also do sort of larger leadership development programs. So and what that looks like is, is that I will do workshops with people with content that I've created and then I'll do one-on-one coaching and then I'll do team coaching or group okay. coaching. So it's either with a team that all like report to the same leader, or it's a group of leaders that all work within the same organization. It just depends on what it looks like. And the with coaching, coaching is really about the inquiry. It's about asking the questions, not advising. So it's helping people to come to their own realizations.
1: This is why I could not be a coach. I'm a big <laughs> fan of my own opinions and advice. Interesting, interesting. Okay, Yes, good delineation.
2: And so, when you are also, when you're a consultant, you're paid to advise, right? You're paid to give your opinion and for your expertise. That's what you do. Thought partnership is basically it's like an amalgamation of the two of those. It's when you're asking questions, but you're pushing a little bit more. You're challenging. You might add a little bit of advice to it. So, it it, it takes on a different level. It's not just pure coaching.
1: Okay, I like that. There is. Uh, I have done. I have joked that I've done enough therapy over the course of my lifetime that I probably could have put one of my kids through two years of Ivy League College with, like, no help. I mean, you know, whatever. It's fine. I'm fine. Anyway, um, but it's very frustrating when you go to therapy and it's like, how does that make you feel? And I'm like, well, if I knew how that made me feel, I wouldn't be here. And I need some help learning how to feel. And, you know, and a lot of times we don't use – the coaches, the consultants, the therapists, the counselors to the end that's needed. We become like, so how was your week? And we're doing a lot of uh, reactionary triage to whatever happened during the week versus really getting to the core of it. So it sounds like what you're trying to do with people is get to the core of it yeah, so that it can then help them reimagine their role uh, and how to show up and how to encourage others to think about their role and how they can show up.
2: Yeah, so it's really about reapproaching how they lead and how they communicate with others, how they build connection. And that that is huge, and especially because, you know, as you said, we're caught in the swirl of our day-to-day. We have so many things demanding our attention. So we're we are reactionary. We're always in this zone, or the majority of the time, we're not creative, you know, we're not really using our best selves and those talents. We're just reacting to to triage to deal with all of the things that are being presented to us. And because the world will change quickly and very unexpectedly, we know that, you know, uncertainty is certain. How do we then prepare ourselves to to have that agility, to react more effectively to what's going to come next? So we have to we got to navigate some of, you know, some yeah. of those messy roads, we got to address those demons and the things that really make us uncomfortable. So that we can speak to why we're uncomfortable, that I think is sort of the emotional literacy of it. Is yep. bringing in, you know, I mean, exactly as you said, like how do you feel? Well, I I don't know. Like I don't know if I'm confused. I don't know if I'm mad. Like it's a might right. be a combination.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, we we default to about three or four different emotions. I mean, yeah. sad, glad, mad. I mean,
2: yeah. People on average say there's five emotions when they ask when they ask like how many emotions do you think there are? And the average answer I think is five. And At the end of the day, I think there's over 200 that have been tried. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. So it's the idea of, okay, what is that telling you? What's beneath the surface? So it's it's continuing to go down more deeply and to also be a leader. And and this happens so much with women, like using your voice. Right. Mm -hmm. Don't just assume that the stories that are being told to you are the stories that you have to follow. And that is that is really interesting to work with leaders that are truly discovering who they are. And who they can then be—it's the possibility of themselves and how they can how they can transition that to the people that they work with. It's becoming a multiplier, right? It's mm-hmm. like how do you truly step into into doing something differently, and that is that's a really powerful place. And I know it can sound like a little cheesy, but
1: <laughs> no. It's, so here's here's a perfect example of this to illustrate. I think it's a perfect example. So last night, uh, Pete and I are going through. Uh, a whole bunch of paperwork. He couldn't find uh, our Nordstrom credit card. And so, of course, he had looked all over, air quote right here, looked all over, and couldn't find it. And I said, well, did you look in your backpack? Because very often he'll take a bunch of paperwork and throw it in his backpack and if we're traveling or something. And he's like, no, I don't think so. So I was like, okay, but did you look? And so he looked. Sure enough, there it was. So it was... Uh, We needed to activate it. And I said, oh, and the card is in his name. And it said, you know, you can add another person on the card. And so I said, oh, I can go in and we can add my name because sometimes people are like, "Mm, are you Peter? I'm like, yes, I am. (laughs) My parents were progressive. (laughs) (laughs) And so he said, well, um, well, you could do it and I could ride on your coattails. And I was like excuse me? What was that? And he said, well, you could pay for it and I could be the second cardholder. And I was like, okay, let's unpack that. Mm-hmm. And once upon a time, I i either, if I had noticed, I would have gotten irked and not said anything or whatever. And uh, men, and I'm, we're painting with a wide brush here, so fully acknowledge, listener. Uh, It's like, he sees it as right and wrong. And so, because his intention wasn't to be a jerk, yeah. he's like, I'm not wrong. So, I don't need to apologize. I'm like, oh, oh, words matter and how you say something. And so, in theory, everything that we have here, unless it was given to me directly, is yours, including the kids, by the way. So, hey. <laughs> They're yours. Uh, And, you know, and and being aware of that. And so speaking up and speaking up for your role, your power, your, you know, how somebody makes you feel, you know, I'm not okay with riding on anybody's coattails. I am very much in my own. I have contributed a lot. And so, uh, you know, it happens in our personal relationships, especially as you become empty nesters and statements like that are made, and um, and it happens a lot in the workspace where, you know, we're all so used to just letting it ride.
2: Yeah, and it really is the power of language, and it, it's 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 also, what does the word mean to each person? Because it's not always the same thing, or the phrase. Yeah, I mean, if I had heard that phrase, too, I would have been stopped in my tracks.
1: Right? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah.
2: And um, might have not reacted as gracefully as you did, let me say. <laughs>
1: Well, it was quiet for a little while, and uh, and then I may have made a lot of jokes about all of the coattails that I was going <laughs> to be riding on, et cetera, et cetera, and then I have learned, however, that uh, I need to circle back, and that as a woman, I very often react from an emotional standpoint, yeah. and that that is counterintuitive to what he's going to understand. And so while I can explain that, you know, there's, there was a feeling and how it made me feel, uh, I need to take a minute and, you know, hey, let's say it was your boss and your boss said to you, hey, I'll tell you what. How about you take the lead on this project and I'll ride on your coattails? You'd be like, say what now? <laughs> Isn't that how it always is? <laughs> So, uh, yeah. All right. On that note, let's take a break so that I can, yeah, I can remember why I love Pete so much. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you're listening to Stacey Connects. We'll be right back after this quick break. <laughs>
0: Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150.
1: Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Suzanne Weller. We were talking about the work that Suzanne does as a, well, I like the way that you put this, the delineation between coach and consultant, which you can do both. Uh, But then you talked about how thought partner is both of those. And before I went off on my tangent about my, Darling husband. Uh, A question came into my mind thinking about. So, when you're working with, let's say, a group of leaders, Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking about as a leader, you want to be both a coach and a consultant, right? So, you're trying to coach your employees so that they have some autonomy, they've got, you know, um, somebody that's helping them along, and yet there is work that needs to be done. And so, as a consultant, you know, it's like, let me give you some best practices and some, you know, some tips. And so, you know, you're working with them, I would imagine, to to do those kinds of things. What are some of the – what's the language that you advise? You know, is it like a yes and? Uh, you know, you and I, um, we talked a little bit about, you know, that um, – The agility, the mental agility, the verbal agility to be able to kind of, dare I say it, pivot really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So what are some of the things that you do?
2: Yeah, well, I love that you're going there because it also is something that I was thinking about when you were talking earlier is that I really want to, I want to lean into both and thinking. I don't want it to be this or that. Mm -hmm. So yes and both. And I mean, you know, or that that all comes together. So with leading, it's about you're going to flex different muscles at different times, just like life. Right. So and you are your best tool mm-hmm. as a person and as a leader. So how do you build up the different muscles and how do you know when to use them? Like, you know, because they're not all going to come out at once. Right. And nor should they because you'd be exhausted at the same time. Right. Right. So but as a leader, a big part of your job is to coach your employees, is to empower them and to put them in stretch zone, you know, so to get them into out of that comfort zone, not into fear zone, but to make sure that you're pushing that a little bit. And that can take more time up front. And if you have a bias to action and if you're very results driven, and I say this because I I am cut from that cloth, (laughs) you can just go to the end, right? You're like, oh, here's a solution, bam, bam, bam and the challenge there is that it might not be their best solution and as a coach like that's the thing it's not my it's not my issue or my relationship to the issue it's theirs i honestly don't necessarily know the best answer for them because i'm not them right and so with pe- with people at work with your team members with your stakeholders or your fellow leaders it's the idea of showing empathy but ultimately you can't put yourself in somebody's shoes and nor should you because they're coming from a different perspective but you can bring compassion empathy and you can help to have that conversation and to challenge their thinking a little bit. And that's one of the things like Adam Grant talks about a challenge network in his book, Think Again. And I love that. I love having people that will, that's the thought partnership part too, right? It's uh-huh. the idea of vet my assumptions. And this is, you know, a big thing for you. How how do you make sure that you're not just assuming that this is how things are and that you're questioning the stories? So that is really, it is talking to leaders and getting them comfortable with Having the toolkit, developing the tools, when do you use it and when do you not? What was it called? Challenge? Challenge network.
1: Yes, I like that. Because you do need, you know, you need people around you that are, one, you're wanting to rise up and, and, you know, do what they're doing and learn, but then also people that are going to challenge you like Having yes people around you is, you know, the worst thing that you can do. Uh, Being uncomfortable and yet also being, uh, as you were mentioning, comfortable with the discomfort. You know, this gal that I uh, that I hired last week, you know, it was like, oh, she made me cry. And like she wasn't trying to make me cry. Uh, She she challenged me and, you know, knew to like how far she could dig without leaving a scar, yeah. but also uncovering something. And I have said before that there's a difference between a scab and a scar. A scar is like something happened and it's it's healed. It's, you know, it's never going to go away. However, you've made peace with it and and it's a part of your life. A scab is something that we just keep picking at and picking at and we haven't ever really resolved it. Yeah.
2: I love that because this, uh, you know, and, and I... I have a big scar on my leg. I was in a bad car accident. I was thrown from a Jeep when I was 18 years old. And oh, my God, that like I felt like my life was ruined when I was 18. But I have such a I'm a survivor from that. Right. I mean, like, you know what I went through to do it. That's that scar is a story. So that's the thing. I love that it's like, okay, when do you pick at the scab? But when do we accept that this is actually this is almost a badge of honor in a way, because it shows the resilience and it shows the strength of what you've gone through.
1: Totally. And just, you know, let it let it heal over and let it be and let it be part of the story. And we don't need to keep going back to it. Um, And that's where the the growth comes in. Uh, Do you have a favorite of the things that you like to do? Like, do you like the one to many? Do you prefer the one to one? Um,
2: I don't know if I really do have a single favorite. I mean, there's so much magic that happens in the one-on-ones because I think that's when people were, are really comfortable with opening up more. And mm-hmm. that's when they get more vulnerable. And it's really wonderful when you're dealing, I think, especially with like C-level executives that, I mean, exactly as you said, like the self-awareness can go down the higher up you get because people you're, people won't give you honest feedback. Right. Because people are like, afraid to challenge you. So that's why, you know, senior level executives need to like really build in feedback loops, intentional feedback loops to get that, to drive that self-awareness. And those are the ones where it's really amazing to see people that are so accomplished in their worlds. And then they're still learning about themselves and thinking about ways that they can change. And those are those are amazing insights. You, you expect that a little bit more when you're working with people at an emerging level um, but I love those insights. And I, then I love seeing them also bring that to their teams. That's what's really yeah. cool about doing both concurrently is that you see them taking the individual learnings and then really developing like collective effectiveness.
1: I love that. It's like they learned a new word and now they're going to share it with everyone. <laughs> totally. And, you know, it's like <laughs> instead of being, you know, having, um, you know, it goes to the scarcity um, versus abundance. Right. Yeah. So instead of somehow being like, oh, I don't, I didn't know what that word meant, and I don't want anybody to know that, you know, that I was lacking in, in my vocabulary. Instead, it's like, I learned a new word. Let me tell you what it is. And, you know, and everybody might learn from this. And that is, that is working, that is thinking, uh, that is driving yourself and, and your business and your team towards something good.
2: Yeah, it's it's great. And I, I mean, and I, I also love facilitating because that's just it's really fun to be with people in a room and to to open up dialogue. I mean, you know, like you, I'm a communication nerd. So really being able to give air to topics and to bring people together. That's mm-hmm. that's such an amazing thing. I love that.
1: Well, <laughs> I love that about alchemy. <laughs> an elephant in the room. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and bringing up uh, difficult conversations or having skills. Uh, there's got to be an improvisational element to it.
2: Yes. And that's why I mean, I, you know, planning is huge. I mean, obviously, you have to be well prepared for it. But there's, there's always that impromptu thing that happens in the moment, you have to read the energy, you have to be ready to shift and to figure out what's happening, because you can have your best plan. I mean, just like we were talking about before, uncertainty is certain. Sometimes if you're not paying attention to what's happening in the now, and this is if you're facilitating, this is if you're coaching, this is in any conversation, like pick up on what you're receiving, Mm -hmm. because who knows where you can take that.
1: Well, and you know, you think that, you know, as you say, you were planning on going in this one direction, and then something comes up. And if everybody's like, yeah, and yeah, 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 you know, it's like, just abandon that for right now. Yeah. Put it on the back burner. And now let's see. Because even if this didn't. Uh, push the project. Mm-hmm. What it did is it created this space that everybody was trusting and collaborative and vulnerable and open to ideas and whatever it is. Uh, my husband uh, calls it popcorning. And I love that. Oh, I love that. Uh, popcorning ideas and popcorning. And when you're popcorning, like the kernels may go all over the place. But, uh, you know, everybody has all these kernels. And with a little bit of heat And, uh, you know, the oil and whatever, it's like, let's get those those popcorn kernels flying everywhere and then we can gather them together and we can season them them into something that we collectively think is good.
2: I also love that because you add a little bit of heat and that's where the magic happens. (laughs) Because without that, it's just a kernel.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um. So, I think that stuff is, uh, is so interesting. And it's so interesting how these conversations are just showing up in business these days and the recognition. Uh, I shared a couple of weeks ago that while, while watching golf, uh, I saw an advertisement for uh, Cognizant. Um, and, you know, just more and more people are, as I said at the beginning, more and more embracing the human connection piece. And and suddenly uh, people that are those C-suite executives uh, or in any kind of a leadership position are realizing that it's no longer about just the the deliverables. Soft skills are really important.
2: Yeah. Soft skills are the hard skills.
1: Soft skills are the hard skills. It's so interesting to me, Uh, you know, and and watching our four kids go out into the world and, uh, you know, the training or lack thereof that they get, uh, you know, within the workplace and how much is missed uh, with some of these things. I mean, we did a lot of it at home, um, luckily, but the pandemic certainly robbed people of some uh, soft skills. I think of uh, in particular our son, Will, who he's, you know, he's been out of school for a year and a half now. And he only gets to go into the office once a week. And so as a 23-year-old, to not be interacting and learning those life skills and those interdepartmental, you know, uh, multi-level dynamics and conversations, uh, that is a shame.
2: Yeah. Well, and it's – the other thing is that I think we always need to embrace experimentation. You know, like we – I think we just get so comfortable with a lot of stuff that – you need to you need to find a place where you can have new conversations. You need to you need to go outside of your normal, you know, social network. I mean, however, and I don't mean digitally social I network, but <laughs> <laughs> but the more people that you talk to, I mean, and that's why like I I want to talk to people from different industries and from different places. And I don't know if that's also part of like my parents breeding that in me as a young age, like with travel and just wanting to learn about people and going to other countries and realizing how different people's lives were and wanting to know what it was like to like the same you know we still are people we still care about the same things at the mm-hmm. end of the day but your how it looks how it incarnates can be so different and that's the thing that's so interesting about you know, when you leave school the freedom of that mm-hmm. but at the same time how do you how do you take what you've learned how do you want to challenge what you do next and at the same time embrace embrace something different mm-hmm. and that, that's an interesting balance. and I, I love I mean I have you know nieces and nephews. I have a 17 year old nephew who actually just started um, who just started his senior year in high school. He's in the running Star program. Uh-huh. And he's always challenging my thinking. and I love that so much. I love that I don't know what to expect with him. Uh-huh. So um, and I never get I never get sick of that, right? I, I always want it to be like, okay, what what do you think about this? Challenge this thinking. and it's good for him uh-huh. for people to invite him to do that, especially adults.
1: It's so true. Um, you know, we had a conversation. We had a friend that came by and there was a situation and uh, our son had heard about it. And the way that the adults responded, uh, it was so interesting uh, because my friend said he was the most adult in the room.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, all of the um, all of the preconceived notions, the biases, uh You know, all of those things that the adults had versus him, it was just straight like, hey, this wasn't cool. This is ridiculous. And, you know, and by the way, you're just being the now adult bully and people have a misconception that you know what you're talking about because you're an adult. And really, you're no better than anybody else.
2: Yeah. And it's so nice to see them, the younger generations also speaking truth to power. So much more readily.
1: I mean, look what's going on with all the women in Iran.
2: Yep. Right. Uh,
1: If people are interested in learning more about you, connecting with you, maybe going on this journey for themselves, or they um, have a team that they want to have you come in and work with, where do they find you?
2: The best place to find me is on my website, which is Weller Collaboration. So that's W-E-L-L-E-R, and I will not spell collaboration because that's <laughs> a long word, um, dot com. You can also, I'm on LinkedIn. So Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E. And I have uh, an Instagram handle, which is also Weller Collaboration. So I'm posting different things there. And But I, I have an upcoming workshop as well. So October 27th, if anybody's interested in signing up, it's actually called Courageous Conversations. Ooh. So it's like, how do you have these conversations, how do you get beyond the awkward to realize what's on the other side? Because you know, we're all really good at avoiding them, even though we know we have to have them. How do we actually embrace that? So it's and that's being that's a a private, privately hosted workshop for yeah, for somebody that hired me to do it, but she's opened it up to everybody. And that's on my website.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Is there is the mascot an elephant?
2: No, but you're making me think now. I might have, like, to, I have to I might have to rebrand that.
1: Right? I'm just saying it's a courageous thing. Uh and I have to say I have this first of all when I was a kid my best friend uh for I think preschool through through the time that I moved and even for a while after her name was Suzanne. Ah. And so um A, I have that connection, and I loved that she had a Z in her name. I was like, oh, man. And I have this vision of you as a child. I have that song, like, I've got a brand new pair of roller skates in my head that, like, you were just out, like, conquering the world and not worrying about a darn thing. And, like... I'm going to roller skate. I'm going to roll like roller skate and bike and I'm going off and I'm like, you know, You are uh, joyous and resilient, and it's a lovely combination.
2: Thank you. I'm going to embrace that. And I remember distinctly listening to Blondie when I was doing that as a kid, so I might just have to listen to some Blondie on the way home.
1: There you go. (laughs) Well, uh, thank you for being my guest. Of course, sadly, we're out of time. Such a pleasure. Uh, I so enjoyed chatting with you. And of course, always thank you to Eric. And next week, my guest is Ariel Hubbard of Hubbard Health Solutions. She's a massage and energy healer. Have a great week, everyone.